Thanks for your company. I'm Dr. Barry Harker and this is The Bible Teachers. We are continuing the search for certainty with Pastor Danny Malenkov. This is the ninth program in the series. Hello, Danny. G'day, Barry. Danny, this sounds like an intriguing title. What are we going to be listening to today? Well, today we're going to be discovering how Christ invites those who want to join his royal family, how they can do that and, and the process involved in becoming part of Christ's royal family. So that's really wonderful to be talking about how to become part of God's family. But is there a particular aspect of that that we're going to be talking about today? Absolutely, Barry. Today we'll be looking at Bible baptism, how we can become part of God's family through Bible baptism. I look forward to that one. Over to you, Danny. Thank you. Today, in our Search for Certainty series, our message is entitled, How to Become Part of God's Royal Family. I'd like to welcome you to this series once again. My name is Danny Malenkov, Pastor Danny Malenkov, and it's great to be here with you again as we journey together discovering the certainty that we can have in God, in His Word, and in Jesus Christ. The search for certainty. It begins and it ends with Jesus Christ. So today, as we begin this journey together, I know that our hearts will be warmed, our minds will be stimulated. I'm going to begin by reflecting on that beautiful event that the world so anticipated and when it came to pass, millions and millions, most maybe even billions of people around the world tuned in via radio or via the television screens to, to watch the wedding of Prince William, the Duke of Cambridge and Catherine Middleton, which took place in 2011 there in Westminster Abbey in London. People were just so excited. Um, whether you're a royal fan or not, um, a lot of people really do uh, appreciate the work that Prince William does, just how he goes about his work. And he's a very down-to-earth young man. And, 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 and his wife-to-be, Catherine, uh, considered to be uh, a lovely young lady, just very much down-to-earth. And the two just made a wonderful couple. And so whether you're a royal fan or not, um, people were just very happy for them and are very pleased for them. And they look just so, so happy on their big special day. A couple of years later, uh, the world looked forward to the birth of their baby. On July 22, 2013, approximately 385,000 babies were born around the world. But of those hundreds of thousands of babies, there was one baby that was front and center in the minds and the hearts of millions, not only in England, but around the world. The news came through. George Alexander Louis of Cambridge was born and his parents, his proud parents, showed him off for the whole world to see. You may be thinking, I wonder what it would be like to be part of the royal family. I wonder what it would be like to marry the prince as, as Catherine Middleton uh, did. I wonder what it would be like to be born into the royal family, to be third to the throne, I wonder what it would be like. A lot of people have wondered, especially young ladies, have wondered what it would be like to be married to, to a prince and become part of the royal family. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, notice what God says. 
And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Did you notice those words, my friend? If we belong to Christ, if we are part of Abraham's seed, then we are heirs according to the promise. We are heirs. We are indeed part of God's royal family. The most important and the most precious and the royal family that I want to belong to is Christ's royal family. This is the royal family, the royal line that will last for all eternity. It's not the royal family there in England or in any other part of the world that is here for one moment and gone the next. This royal family is the eternal royal family of Christ. So you and I, we can be part of God's royal family. How can we be part of God's royal family? John chapter 1 verse 12. Notice these words. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So how do we become sons and daughters of God? How do we become part of Christ's royal family and heirs according to the promise? The Bible is clear. We need to receive Christ. We need to believe in his name. And then we will become children of God. Now, how will all that take place? The Bible will give us the answer. And so, as always, before we open up God's Word together and seek the answer for how we can become part of God's royal family, let's pause and pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father in heaven, once again, we want to thank you so much for your Word. We ask and pray that as we open the holy pages of Scripture, that you will open up our hearts and our minds, that we may be willing to receive what your Holy Spirit has to speak to our hearts. Oh, Lord, this is such an important subject. There is no subject more important than discovering the truth of how we can become part of your royal family, oh, Lord. So bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to turn to the book of Revelation once more. We've been in the book of Revelation a number of times together. And today we want to go to the very heart of the book of Revelation. We want to go to Revelation chapter 14, where as we have discovered in the past, it is there that God unpacks his final message of love to the world. There in Revelation 14 is the message known as the three angels' messages, as I've shared with you before. This radio station that you are listening to right now that is airing this message from God's Word is called 3ABN, which stands for Three Angels Broadcasting Network. And so we go to the very heart of God's final message of love to the world. You remember Jesus said, and the gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Jesus shared that in Matthew 24, verse 14. Well, here is the gospel that Jesus spoke of that needs to go to the whole world, but here it is couched in an end-time context. Notice these words that we find in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6, the first angel's message of these three angels that are flying in the midst of heaven. Notice these words. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. The everlasting gospel. You'll remember that we discovered that the word gospel means good news. 
you ask the question, the good news about what? The good news that God loved this world so much that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the everlasting gospel, the everlasting good news about God and his love. The Bible says God does not change and his love does not change. His love is eternal. His love is everlasting. God loves us, the Bible says, with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, he has drawn us. That's found in Jeremiah 31. So let's discover the everlasting gospel. The everlasting gospel. In the Bible, it's described in many different ways. I love the way the Apostle Paul describes it in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. Notice these words that Paul writes to his friend, young Timothy. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men, and we can include women, all people, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So what is the acceptable and good will of God? It is simple. It is clear. It is that God desires all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Bible says, For God is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us all, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God's plan is that all are saved and not one single person is lost. That is the everlasting gospel. So the question is, the all-important question is, that we, need to, that we need to reflect on and, and by God's grace seek to answer together this day, how can a person be saved? How can a person be saved? There is no question that is more important than this, for this is a question that deals with eternity. It's a question that has eternal consequences. Notice what Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Mark 16 verse 15, Jesus speaking, At the end of his life, just before he is about to go to heaven, he says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Notice the words of Jesus. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not will be lost. So how do we accept the gospel? How do we make a stand for the gospel? How do we accept Jesus into our lives? How do we become part of the royal family of God? It is by believing in Jesus and showing that belief in an outward manner through baptism. Baptism is that initiation process. It's that initiation ceremony into the body of Christ, into the church of Christ, into the heart of Christ. Baptism is the symbol of our commitment, loyalty, and allegiance to Jesus Christ. It is the outward public expression of sharing with the whole world, sharing with our family, with our friends, with our loved ones, with all what God has done for us, what is taking place in our hearts, sharing that openly with all of what our decision is for Christ, that we want to become part of his royal family. Baptism is mentioned some 80 times in the New Testament. What is baptism? Well, let's take a closer look. Before we actually do take a closer look at baptism and its significance and why the Bible speaks so much of it, 
and why it's so important and why Jesus said that we need to believe and be baptized in order to be part of his eternal kingdom of love. Firstly, we want to discover that when it comes to baptism, there are different ways that Christians approach baptism. There are more than a dozen different ways in Christian circles that baptism is performed. But there are three main ways, that is through full immersion, a person being completely submerged under the water. Then there are those who have a little bit of water poured on their heads. And then there are those who are sprinkled, generally infants. Now, what does the Bible say? Does it make any difference how a person is baptized? Does it really even matter? Well, we always have to ask what the Bible says, because it is God who sets the standard It is God who gives us the instructions of how we ought to practice what we do in the Christian life. I love this poem that I've shared with you in the past. You may or may not remember it, but the words are just so beautiful and the words are just so relevant for those who want to seek to do God's will. I'm not sure who wrote this poem, but it's a beautiful poem. And I've memorized it and I love this poem and it really shares with me and in my life, what I want to do and how I want to live my life as a Christian. What says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me, the teachings of men so often mislead me? What says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me? This my only question be, what says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me? Isn't that a beautiful poem? What says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me? That needs to be our only question. And it's true, the teachings of men often mislead us. And so that is why we must live our lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's exactly what Jesus told us. Live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Notice what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5. He wrote, there is one Lord, one faith and one baptism. So as far as the Bible is concerned, there is one form of baptism. Now, what does the word baptism mean? This will help us in a great degree understand the form or the mode of baptism that God has given to us in his word and why that is so significant, as we'll discover um, a little later on. The Greek word Well, I should say the word baptism in the English comes from the Greek word baptizo. And the Greek word baptizo, the Greek is the original language that the New Testament was written in. The word baptizo means to dip, to immerse, or to plunge underwater. That's exactly what the word means. Now, we need to ask, what did Jesus do? Jesus is our example in all things. The Bible says we ought to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He's our example in absolutely everything. That is why we take on the name of Christ when we become Christians. We become Christ's men, Christ's women. So what did Jesus do? What sort of example did he leave for us? In Mark chapter 1, verse 9, we read these words. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Notice, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. If It didn't matter how Jesus was baptized. John the Baptist 
could have easily have sprinkled some water on him or he could have poured a little bit of water on his head. But no, Jesus, along with all others who wanted to be baptized, they came to John who was there in the River Jordan and he baptized them. He submerged them completely underwater. So that is what the Bible teaches. So where did sprinkling and pouring come from? That's a very, very good question. Well, you certainly won't find it anywhere in the New Testament. If you go to Europe today, if you go to the Middle East today, there you will discover from archaeological discoveries of how baptism was practiced in the early church. In fact, you will discover that the early church practiced baptism by immersion because there are a number of baptismal fonts from hundreds of years ago that have been unearthed by archaeologists. I had the opportunity of going to ancient Ephesus, which is there in modern-day Turkey, and there in the church of St. Mary, which is dated to about the 5th century AD, is a baptismal font about three feet deep in which those who wanted to be Christians, those who wanted to become part of God's royal family, were baptized. Another church there also in Ephesus is the Basilica of St. John. And I had the opportunity of visiting um, this uh, archaeological site. This is the place uh, where it is believed that John the Revelator was buried. And there where he supposedly was buried, um, this church was built. And right there is once again a baptismal font, about three feet deep, once again, where individuals were baptized. If you go to Italy, and you may be familiar with, uh, you may have seen pictures uh, of that famous landmark um, in the city of Pisa. It's called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And next to the Leaning Tower of Pisa, there is a church. And it was built in about the 10th century. And there also is a baptismal font. They are everywhere, these baptismal fonts from the 3rd, 4th, 5th, um, and so on century. There is one that I came across there in Macedonia, uh, the country that uh, my parents were born in, where my origins are. And it was built in the 8th century there in the city of Ohrid, which is there on Lake Ohrid. And... Um, you have this baptismal font from the 4th to the 6th century. And once again, it's, uh, it's about three or so, three to four feet deep where adults um, or individuals who were aware of the decision they were making were baptized. So where did the practice of sprinkling and pouring water on infants in order to baptize them come from? Well, it didn't come from the Bible as we have discovered. The Bible doesn't speak of pouring or sprinkling. But the practice of using holy water to cleanse the soul can actually be traced back to the ancient mysteries of Babylon. You see, in the Babylonian religion, newborn infants were baptized, entitling them to become a part of this mystery religion. And entry into this uh, mysterious uh, religion, uh, Mithra being one of the main um, religions, of this pagan religion of Babylon, it used the symbolism of water. A common form of baptism was to sprinkle 
water, which had been blessed by a pagan priest or priestess onto the head of a young baby. And in that way, this child became part of the Babylonian religion. And so sadly, when the pagans came into the Christian church, as we have discovered in the past, not only was the day of worship changed, but there were many other unbiblical teachings that came in from paganism into the Christian church. And sadly, this was one of those. So tradition replaced the Bible. Now, what did Jesus have to say about tradition replacing his commandments, replacing what he had instructed in his word? In Mark chapter 7 and verse 9, we read these words. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Jesus spoke out against those who were willing to place the commandments of men or the traditions of man over and above the commandments given by God in his word. And so we must always go with God's truth rather than the traditions of man. So is there a special service for babies? There most certainly is. Notice what the Bible teaches. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 22, it says, Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, that is Mary speaking of Mary, the mother of Jesus, they brought him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Notice Jesus, 40 days according to the the books of Moses, after his birth, He was taken to the temple and there he was dedicated to the Lord. He was presented before the Lord. So today, as Christians, we have the opportunity to to bring our children before God and to have them dedicated. We call that a dedication service where children are brought by their parents before God and ask God for God to, to bless them in a special way that they may walk with the Lord. My two children, my two girls, we have had them dedicated before the Lord, placed into his hands. You'll remember Jesus when he was on this earth. He spent time praying for and blessing the children, laying his hands on them much to the dismay of his disciples who thought that he didn't have time for children, didn't have time to bless them, to pray for them because he was too busy doing other things. And you remember what Jesus said to them? Jesus said, Suffer not the little children to come unto me for of such is the kingdom of heaven. We want to come back in just a moment and we want to discover the incredible, powerful meaning of Bible baptism. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABM Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3 ABN Australia, all one word, dot org dot au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc, PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support.
welcome back. As we have discovered, uh, Bible baptism is baptism by immersion. An individual being completely submerged under the water, just as Jesus was, and then coming up from the water. Now we'll discover that baptism is a fitting symbol of a new resurrected life in Christ. Notice these words that the Apostle Paul shares in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 and onwards. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Wow, there is a lot in those few verses that we have just read. We could spend the next hour or more discussing and pulling apart those powerful words and those powerful phrases that speak so deeply about what baptism means. But in a nutshell, in a nutshell, what is baptism and how does that symbolize our union with Christ and with his body, with his church? Well, just as Jesus died, the Apostle Paul is telling us, and was buried and then was resurrected. So the new Christian dies to the old life of sin, is buried beneath the water in baptism as a symbol of their willingness to die to the old ways of sin, to die to the old ways of living their life according to their own plan, according to their own template, according to their will. And just as Christ was resurrected back to life by that power that God has, so too when the person comes up from the water, they are making a declaration that the God who resurrected Jesus Christ is the same God that can resurrect my life so that I can now live a new life in Christ. My old life of sin, my old life has been buried under the water, has been buried forevermore. As Paul says, I am no longer a slave to sin. I am no longer a servant of sin. Yes, I may continue to fall and fail, but I am no longer enslaved. I no longer have this ball and chain that, that holds me down to the things and to the ways of this world. For I now have a new master. I now have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, If the Son of Man sets you free, you shall be free indeed. And so that is why baptism by immersion is just so important. That is why sprinkling or pouring or any other method will not do. Because baptism by full immersion under the water represents the death to the old life and the raising up of the new life in Christ. And now 
a new believer in Christ, rises to live a new life in Christ. Can you see how beautiful this service is? Can you see why God has given us this form of baptism? It would have been a lot easier. It would have been a lot more convenient for God to simply say, whatever is most convenient, whatever fits in with your particular circumstances, simply do that and that will be the initiation process that you need to complete in order for the person to become part of my church, to be to become a follower of mine. It would have been easier even just a, sh- a handshake or a pat on the back or a, or a simple quick prayer where you lay your hand on the person's shoulder or on their head. That would have been without fuss, without bother. But that's not God's plan. That's not God's way. God always knows what is best. And this is the best way, for this has a profound impact on the individual who is being baptized, as well as those who are watching. Those who are watching this individual make their public stand that they belong to Christ. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, All things have become new. Isn't that a beautiful promise? When you're in Christ and you become a new creation, you become a new person. That's exactly what baptism is all about. The old person, the old ways, they have been buried and now they have all passed away. And now you have become a new creature. You are a new creation in Christ. And Paul says, God says, all things have become new. Oh, there is something special. There is something liberating. There is something that is just so joyful in the life of a person, brings such great peace when you have the past forgiven. Your past has been wiped away and now you are a new creature. It does not matter what you have done. It does not matter where you have been. It doesn't matter how bad you have been. It doesn't matter how much of a mess you have made of your life. When you give your heart to Jesus, when you are baptized into Christ and into his body, you become a new creature. You become part of God's royal family. You now become a person that God is shaping and molding for eternity. That doesn't mean that you are perfect. It doesn't mean that you have got it all together. It doesn't mean that you know everything. But it simply means that you have chosen to follow Jesus Christ, that you have chosen Him to be Lord and Savior of your life, that you want to give your life to Him unreservedly. It means that you are on this journey with Jesus Christ and you are not turning back. You are pressing forward. You are looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. You believe in the one who says, I will begin and I will complete my good work that I have in you. The Bible often compares Christ's love and relationship with his people in marital terms. In fact, notice these words from the book of Isaiah, chapter 54 and verse 5, we read, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Notice here, Isaiah speaking of God as our maker. 
and not just our maker or our creator, but also as our husband. In the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5 and verse 25, the Apostle Paul also uses this analogy. And he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Notice here the Apostle Paul compares husbands to Christ. He compares the wives of husbands to his church. And he says, husbands, you ought to love your wives just as Christ has loved the church. Christ is the groom, his church or his people. That's what the church is. The church is not a building. The church is about people. It's those that have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Christ is the husband. His church or his people are his bride. And in a very special sense, he seeks to have this union with his people, just as two, a husband and a wife, seek to have this intimate union with one another that lasts for their entire lifetime. So too Christ is seeking to have this union with his people that are seeking to have unity with him, not just in this lifetime, but forevermore. Powerful words, those, as I stop and think about how Christ invites me as a husband, and I've been married for almost 20 years, to love my wife. He says, Danny, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This is a huge challenge. This is one of the greatest and most challenging scriptures in all the Bible for me and maybe for you also. Do I put my wife's needs ahead of my own needs? Am I willing to sacrifice all for her just as Christ did for his church? A huge challenge, a powerful challenge. And that's what baptism is all about. It's about giving all to Christ because he has given all for you. Preparing for your baptism is very similar to preparing to get married. Notice, before you get married, you should truly love the person. Do you think that's true? The person that you married, did you truly, truly love them? I pray that you did. I pray that you didn't marry them because they had a lot of money or they had a lovely car or because they came from a certain family, or because you wanted to come into the country, or whatever, or whatever. A million and one different reasons. Not everybody marries because of love. There are many that have ulterior motives, and that is why some have even proposed these prenuptial agreements where you sign uh, the paperwork before you get married as to what will take place in the event that things don't work out. I don't believe in prenuptial agreements. I believe that if you are already moving into marriage with doubts that this person will stay with you, that you're already building on a very sandy foundation. But you need to truly love the person before you marry them. That's, that's simple. That's a no-brainer. We would all agree with that. Notice what Jesus said. In Matthew 22, verse 37, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So that one of the very first things before we are baptized, we need to come to the point where we love Jesus 
with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. In other words, we love him with everything that we are, everything that he has created us to be. We love him with all of our heart. Secondly, before you get married, you should be willing to commit to be faithful till death do you part. Isn't that right? Well, that's what I said 20 years ago. I remember very clearly when I was asked, Danny, do you take this wife in sickness and in health till death do you part? And I said, I do. Be willing to commit to be faithful until death do you part. Marriage is not for a couple of years. It's not for five or 10 years. You don't sign a 20-year contract. It's for life until death do us part. Notice what we read in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, the words of Jesus. He says to his people, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death. The apostle Paul was faithful unto death. The disciples were faithful unto death. In fact, hundreds of thousands of those early Christian believers in the first century were faithful unto death, willing to be torn apart by wild animals in the Colosseum because of their faithfulness to Jesus, because they loved Jesus with all of their hearts, willing to be burnt there in those Colosseums by the Romans because they were not willing to worship the emperor, not willing to worship anyone but Jesus Christ, faithful unto death, Men and women and boys and girls paid the ultimate price because they were willing to be faithful unto death. Why? Because they served one. They served a Lord. They served their Lord, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to them unto death. And they were willing to do just the same. Thirdly, before you get married, you should Understand what you are signing up for. Don't you think that's important? That you know what marriage entails? That you know that when you get married, you need to do everything together with your spouse. I remember when I got married, before I signed on the dotted line, I had no idea that that meant there was a certain way to put the washing out on the washing line. I wasn't very good at putting the washing out before that anyway. I went from home to my wife. You may be thinking, oh, Danny, you really missed out and you should have learned how to live on your own and how to do your own ironing and how to do your own washing and so on and so forth. And that's true. As I've shared with you, I come from Macedonian culture. And in the Macedonian culture, unfortunately, the, the male child isn't asked or isn't even encouraged to do anything around the house. And um, so they're not well trained. So my poor wife, she really had a job on her hands to try and teach her husband how to do a few basic things around the house. And so when she said to me to put the washing up on the line, I put it up as best I knew. When she came, she said, what have you done? And I'm like, well, I've put the washing up on the line. Um, I was quite proud of my efforts. She said, no, that's not what you do. And I'm like, what do you mean that's not what I do? Have a look. The washing is up on the line. The pegs are there holding the washing up on the line. It hasn't fallen on the grass. She says, no, that's not how you put it up. You don't stretch it out, but you've got to put a little kind of, what do you call it? Like, you ladies know what I'm talking about. Uh, the, 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 the clothing can't be tight. It's got to be loose and it's got to have a little bit of a, 
a little bit of a fold there in, in between so the clothes don't stretch. And so I learned all about how to put the washing up on the line properly. And, and I had no idea when I signed on the dotted line 20 years ago that that meant there was a certain way that I had to wipe around the sink after I'd shaved and washed or that I couldn't just throw my clothes there next to the washing basket. They had to be in the washing basket. And so I've learnt all these exciting things. They're all fun things, but we all know that marriage is a serious business and it's, um, it's more than just putting the washing out on the line properly and, and putting your washing in the washing basket or wiping around the sink or, or some of these other things. But marriage is a serious business and we need to understand what it entails before we get married. That is why Jesus, when he spoke of baptism, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he said, Go out and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Before a person is baptized, they need to know the basics of what Jesus invites them to do in his word. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? An individual needs to be taught. That is why babies cannot be baptized because you cannot teach a baby what it means to follow Christ, what it means to observe all the things that Christ has commanded, the basics, the most important. That doesn't mean you need to know everything. I don't know everything. In fact, there is no person on planet Earth that knows everything about what God's will is for them throughout his holy word because we are continually learning and growing. But we do need to know the basics. It's just like marriage. You don't know everything about marriage before you get married, but you know the basics, and that is what's important. And finally, you need to be willing to forsake all other intimate relationships. That is, you have declared that you will be faithful and true only unto one person for the rest of your life. You remember Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples. What's that word disciple? We don't use that word today very much. The word disciple simply means a follower, uh, a follower of someone, a follower of someone in every way. That is, a person who is a disciple of Christ is a person who seeks to follow in the footsteps of Christ in every single aspect of their lives. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Before baptism, I need to be willing to confess all of my sins to Jesus and to ask forgiveness for all of my sins. The Apostle Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he said, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. What does it mean to repent? It means to turn away from our old ways, to turn away from everything and anything that is not part of God's revealed plan for my life, for your life, as it is found in his word. To repent means to follow Jesus Christ, to live this new life in Christ. And we can only do that by the grace of God. We cannot make any change in our lives in and of ourselves. The Bible is clear. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 is clear. The Bible says, It is God, it is God who has begun this good work in you, and it is God who will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is the one 
that does this good work in us. It is God who performs the good in us as we allow him to do just that. Well, is baptism ever appropriate? There are some folk that say that I have been baptized, but I've wandered away and I'm not really quite sure. What what do I do? Do I need to be re-baptized or what? People have asked me that question on many occasions. Is re-baptism ever appropriate? Well, the answer is yes, if you haven't been baptized by immersion. That is, if you were baptized as a little baby, by sprinkling or by some pouring of water, you were not aware of what was taking place. You certainly didn't have an opportunity to repent because to repent means to to know what you have done is not right. And to confess your sins means to know about your sins, to know the difference between right and wrong, which little children do not or, or are not able to do. So if you haven't been baptized according to the biblical method, then I invite you to be rebaptized. And to be baptized, I should say, not rebaptized. You weren't baptized truly the first time, but to be baptized according to the Bible. Secondly, if you have walked away from Jesus, you were baptized once upon a time. Once upon a time, you did make that commitment to Christ to love him with all of your heart, to follow him and his ways. But through various reasons, whether you were discouraged whether you became disillusioned, whether you become became distracted by this world and the ways of this world, uh, whatever the case may be, regardless of what the circumstances were, you walked away from Jesus. You took your eyes off Jesus and you wandered back into the ways of the world. You separated yourself or you divorced yourself from Christ, who is your husband, and instead you united your life with another master, with another Lord, the Lord who is the one who brings all the sadness, the sin and suffering in this world, and we know who who he is. If that is where you are, then I want to encourage you to to be re-baptized, to come back to Jesus and, and to renew your vows, to renew your commitment in a very public way and to walk once again with Christ. Or thirdly, if you have discovered new significant truth, if you have discovered significant truth during this series or by listening to God's word or reading God's word and you have discovered incredible new truths that are life transforming and life changing, then you may want to reconsider or you may want to consider, I should say, being rebaptized. You've been baptized before by full immersion as a Christian but you want to be baptized again. And I've had a number of people baptized once again as they've discovered new truth. Well, is this biblical? It's a good question. Thank you for asking. Is it biblical? And that's what we need to ask. In Acts chapter 19, If you, we don't have time to read that, but if you go and read Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 5, there is the story of Paul who comes to Ephesus and he finds a group of Christians who had been baptized into John's baptism. And he asked them if they had heard of the Holy Spirit they hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. So he asked them, um, into what baptism were you baptized in? And they say, we were baptized into the baptism of John. And so the Apostle Paul baptizes them, or they are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. He lays hands on them and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
just as what took place on the day of Pentecost. You remember we read those words earlier in Acts chapter 2 where Peter said, repent and be baptized and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what took place on that occasion as well. Well, do I need to join a church when I'm baptized? That's a good question. A lot of people are asking that today. A lot of people are comfortable with being baptized into Christ, but are not comfortable or do not want to be baptized into a church. They just simply want to be baptized into Christ. Now, is that biblical? That's a good question. That's the question that we always need to ask. You remember the the poem? What says the? That's right. What says the Bible? The blessed Bible to me. This my only question be. So what does the Bible say? Do I need to join a church when I'm baptized? Notice what we read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. That is those who received the word of Peter who preached that powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost. They were baptized. Notice what happens next. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, who are the them that these 3,000 souls were added to? Well, in verse 47, we are told, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So where were these 3,000 individuals added to and many others in the in the following days? that were baptized, where were they added? The Bible is clear. They were added to the church, the church. It's important that when we are baptized into Christ, who is the head, we are also baptized into his body. You need the head and you need the body. You cannot survive with just a head and you cannot survive with just a body. The head and the body must be joined and they must work together. We all know that. And so a person who is baptized needs to be part of the church, needs to be part of God's church. And we're going to look a little later on at God's end time church. God actually describes his church in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. And you're going to be in for a wonderful treat as we discover God's church in the end times that he's inviting all people from all around the world to be part of. Just as a little baby that is born needs a mum and a dad, needs a family to be part of in order to grow in a healthy way, so too an individual, a baby Christian, one who has been baptized, needs needs a family, a, a family in Christ to belong to in order to grow. Well, what can I expect at my baptism? Notice what Jesus experienced. In Matthew 3 and verse 16, we read, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. At your baptism, you too can hear those words. You are my beloved Son. You are my beloved daughter. Today, in a very public way, You have chosen to link your life with me. You have chosen for me to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. Today in you, I am well pleased. You have chosen to believe in me. What does it mean to believe in me? It means to put your faith and trust in Jesus. That's 
what the word means. It means to trust in Jesus with everything. Just as Solomon wrote in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord your God with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That's what it means to trust in God. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. It means that you will live your life in harmony with his wonderful and divine and precious will for your life. Well, I want to finish off by sharing with you a powerful story, a powerful testimony that I had the privilege of witnessing back in 2004. So that's many years ago now. Had the opportunity of going to the Solomon Islands to run a, a week of meetings there, um, similar meetings to, to what I've been sharing here on the radio with you. And um, on the final, whilst I was there, I had the opportunity of meeting with and speaking with a young lady, a 14-year-old girl. Her name was Hilda. She was from a very remote village there in the Solomon Islands, um, a few days' uh, journey from where these meetings were being conducted. And she shared with me her story. She shared with me her story of, of when she was baptized. She shared with me and she asked me to pray for her. You see, she grew up in a, in a family and she was baptized as a, as a little baby. But she came to some meetings and she discovered the truth about God and his love and his word and baptism. She discovered the truth about the Sabbath and she wanted to worship God on the Sabbath. Her family wasn't worshiping on the Sabbath. It was worshiping on the first day of the week. She wanted to be baptized by immersion, just as the Bible taught, even though she was baptized uh, through sprinkling as a, as a little child. So she shared this with her family and in particular her father. Her father said, no, Hilda, uh, I do not want you to be baptized. You have a church. Um, you have a day of worship. And I do not want you to do that. And if you do, there will be very serious consequences. And he threatened her that she would no longer have a home with them if she proceeded to be baptized and to, and, and, and to join the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Well, the baptismal day came and Hilda made her decision. She was baptized. She came home and her father asked her one question. And here she is sharing this story with me. And there are tears running down her face as she's sharing with me. And she said that her father asked her one question. That question was, Hilda, did you get baptized this afternoon? And she says, yes, Father, I did. And at that point, he gave her two bags that he had already packed for her with all her belongings, her clothes and everything else. And he said, Hilda, you no longer have a place here in this home. You are no longer part of this family. And you can imagine there were tears running down my eyes, tears running down my face at this point in time. And I hadn't heard a powerful testimony like this. And I said to Hilda, I said, Hilda, what are you going to do now? She's only 14 years old. And she said to me, Pastor Danny, I don't know what the future holds for me, but I do know who holds my future. I know who holds my future. Hilda had given her life to Jesus. Hilda had committed her life to Christ. 
and Christ has promised that those who confess him before men, he will also confess them before his Father who is in heaven when, when he comes. That's Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32. One day Jesus will say to Hilda, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter into the joy of your Lord if Hilda continues to hold on to the hand of Jesus. My friend, how is it with you? Would you like to make a decision such as Hilda made, such as hundreds of thousands of millions of billions of people have made over the past 2,000 years to accept Jesus Christ, to be baptized? If that is your decision, I want to encourage you to let us know. We want to, we want to help you prepare for your baptism. We want to prepare you help for your very special day. The final invitation in the book of Revelation is found in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Jesus says, Come, 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 come. Are you willing to come? Jesus has his hands outstretched and he's inviting you to come. He doesn't want you to be lost. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be part of his royal family, his eternal royal family. Why not say yes? If you haven't been baptized, why not make a decision to be baptized? If you need to be rebaptized, why not make that decision to be rebaptized? If you're not sure, please call or email or, or, or let somebody know. Give us a call. Let us know, and we will help you to prepare for your special day. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for Jesus. We want to thank you for his love. We ask and pray that you will guide and that you will bless each person. Oh, I pray, dear Lord, that each person will make that decision, the decision to follow Jesus, to be baptized, to follow him in all aspects of their lives, to live their lives for Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you're coming back soon. We pray, Lord, that we will all be prepared and ready to look up on that great and awesome day and to cry out, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will indeed deliver us. He will save us. He is our Savior. Bless us, Lord, now as we go our separate ways. And we thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.